So there's this great generational divide between New England sports fans. You could call it the Brady line. Because if you're younger than, say, 20, like my kid, pretty much all you know is winning. But listen up, Gen Z, or whatever you're called. I got news for you. Once upon a time, being a Boston sports fan kind of sucked. So back in 2001, the year that Tom Brady became the Patriots' starting quarterback, the Bruins hadn't won the Stanley Cup since the 70s. The Celtics' championship years were a distant memory, giving us a painfully fleeting taste of what it felt like to win. I mean, the Red Sox? Of course, they hadn't won a World Series since 1918. And the Patriots? They'd never won a Super Bowl. Now, our guys weren't terrible. I mean, the Pats, for example, had made it to the Super Bowl in 85 and 96. But New England teams just seemed to have an uncanny knack for losing when it really mattered. And I'm far from the only one who feels this way. There was always like a level of pain and heartbreak that was associated with being a Boston sports fan. That's Sheila Varela. She grew up outside Boston in the 1970s and 80s, like me, in a big Irish family, not like me, that loved New England sports. She passed that passion down to her son, Miguel. He's 18 and falls squarely into the generation that has only known winners. I compare you guys as upper middle class kids who have an easy go of it. And we were working class fans forever. We've lost, though. Yeah, but it's kind of like, when's the first time Brady lost to Manning there? That first, oh, seven. Um, you know, you were crying when you realized we weren't going to win the Super Bowl. And I was, I was mm-hmm. like, are you crying? Are you, <laughs> are you actually crying because we lost? I mean, yeah. that's what it is to be a Boston sports fan yeah. or a New England sports fan, I should say. You know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to have heartbreak. It's toughen up. Okay, so that's like a very different conversation than one I had with my mom back in 1986 when the Red Sox lost the World Series. I was 11 and, like Miguel, had been moved to tears by a Boston sports loss. I cried myself to sleep that night. I was so upset that, I cannot believe I'm about to admit this, I wet the bed. Looking back, that was the worst night of my life. My mom, who had immigrated from India, didn't understand why I cared so much about these Boston sports teams, especially when they just kept losing all the time. I remember telling her I was convinced that the Red Sox and I would never know what it was like to win a World Series. She asked me if that was the case, then would I still be a Sox fan? I was totally confused. I was like, of course I will be. Why wouldn't I be? And look, I know this isn't just a New England thing. Really, that's what it's like to be any sports fan. Most of the time, I'm going to break it to you, your team isn't going to make it to the World Series or the Super Bowl. And people are equally loyal and, yes, crazy in Philly, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and, I mean, fine, I'm going to say it, New York. Maybe the thing that sets New England sports fans apart is the decades we spent losing were followed by the decades we spent winning. And that there seems to be one dude who has come to embody that change, that completely dizzying flip from underdog to top dog. I'm Gotham Chopra from Religion of Sports and ESPN Plus. This is Man in the Arena. 
a 10-part podcast looking at Tom Brady through the eyes of players and coaches, fans and haters, people whose dreams he's either ruined or made come true. And you'll also hear from me, someone who went from being Tom Brady's fan to Tom Brady's friend. Each episode looks at Tom's impact inside and outside the arena, using sports to explore bigger questions about the world and ourselves. Episode 2, The Icon. How do our identities get all tangled up with the teams and players we love? And how much can any one player really be a symbol for a place, especially when they leave? Like, and I still can't believe I'm saying this, Tampa Bay QB Tom Brady. Coming up after the break. Welcome back. Before Tom, being a New England fan wasn't defined by winning. It was defined by standing by your teams no matter how much they broke your heart. Sheila Varela knew that heartbreak well. She remembers how hard it was for her grandfather and her dad to watch the games on TV. They almost can't watch it. You know, like they'll watch the game, but then after the first inning or the first bad pass, they get up, they pace, they walk back and forth. My father would be like, I can't watch it. And then he'd storm out of the house. They'd make a big dramatic thing about they're no good. They're going to break our hearts. I can't watch it. But then they'd be sneaking out in that yard and they'd have the radio up just enough that they could hear it, but not enough that we could say, ah, you, ha- you were listening to it. It's like they love them so much that it breaks their heart, but they'll never let go of their support yeah. for them. For fans like Sheila and me, that all started to change in 2001 when Brady and the Pats won their first ever Super Bowl. For the first time in what felt like, I mean, forever, there was a taste of hope for Beantown. But then in the next season, 2002, it was the same Boston sob story. The Patriots missed the playoffs, and things seemed to continue to spiral into 2003. Guys, this is still hard for me to talk about. In that season, the Red Sox lost to the Yankees. The hated Yankees. In the playoffs, the ALCS. In the 11th inning of the 7th game. Thanks to a walk-off homer by Aaron fucking Boone. After that game, I had an existential crisis, wandering the streets for like six hours, questioning why I cared so much for something I had no control over. At the time, it seemed maybe the Patriots' Super Bowl win was just an aberration. The Pats would win once, and then New England would go back to our losing ways. Except that's not what happened at all. Things went a different way. And guess who led the charge? Three days after the Red Sox lost that game... The Patriots beat the Dolphins in overtime to improve to 5-2. and two. It was their third win in a row. And you know what? They wouldn't lose for the rest of the season. And we were rolling. In February 2004, the Patriots won the Super Bowl again. The Bruins won the Northeast Division. And for the first time in 86 endless years, the Red Sox won the World Series. By doing something that had never been done before in the history of Major League Baseball, fighting their way 
out of a three-game hole in the championship series against, guess what? The fucking Yankees. Oh my God, it feels so good to say that. Still, I love that Red Sox team. But for me and the rest of New England, as the winning kept coming over the next few years, it really felt like the symbol of our newfound success was Tom. He was the icon of that renaissance. That's Seth Wickersham. He's a senior writer at ESPN and author of a new book, It's Better to be Feared, about Tom and the Patriots dynasty. Wickersham says Tom was, in many ways, the perfect hero for us New England fans, straight out of central casting. You couldn't have picked a better quarterback for that team and a better icon for that region than Tom Brady. He's incredibly good looking. He's incredibly kind. He was Irish in an Irish town. Sure, he's Irish, but Tom grew up in San Mateo, California, pretty close to San Francisco, where it's never too hot or too cold. It's always temperate. He never faced the sleet, slush, and ice of a New England winter. But I don't know. I mean, maybe Brady was a New Englander at heart. Tom Brady doesn't complain. Tom Brady doesn't say, my knees hurt, my hands, I need this, I need that. He goes out there and he competes. That's Tori Sampson. She's a native Bostonian and lifelong fan of all the New England sports teams. She's also a playwright whose career has taken her to Los Angeles. That's where she lives today, like me. But she still loves all the teams that she rooted for growing up. Tori says that what made Tom special was that it felt like he was constantly showing up for us, for his fans. It felt like he was a quarterback that was invested in our legacy in the franchise. And just like the city of Boston, like he knows that like not only for himself, but New England, you know, we really do care about winning a lot. So if you buy Tory's argument here, you should be able to throw a stone in Boston Common, the city's oldest park, and hit someone who loves Tom Brady. So that's what we did, sort of, and found Louis Viard. He's a god, a football god. Like, he eats avocado ice cream. That's disgusting. you got to respect that guy. I mean, I think most Pats fans at some point have used the G word to describe Tom. I mean, I looked up to him as this, I think, almost higher power, like this god, this football god who just, all he knows is winning. That's Miguel Varela again, the spoiled fan from the beginning, chatting with his dad, Julio, also a huge Patriots fan but one who knows our lean years. Miguel, God love him, doesn't know anything but Brady, and he could care less about football's other great QBs. Peyton Manning, you're like, nope. No. And, he, and someone goes Peyton like... Peyton Manning. <laughs> That's almost funny. It's a laugh. <laughs> Laughable. So no one, like you're like, John no Elway. One. Nope. No one. Nope. nope. And maybe I'm... I, I might be biased, but... I think you are, but that's... No, I'm just saying because you're Boston. But... I mean, you gotta be, though. You gotta be. It's like be. Joe Montana. No. No. Okay, so this might come as a surprise to Louis and Miguel. But Tom can't actually walk on water. I mean, I know him, and I can attest that he's actually kind of human. I mean, he's thrown close to 200 interceptions as of this recording. He's lost three Super Bowls with the Patriots, all very tragic. I was at a few of them. But I think what we Boston fans really saw in Tom was resilience. He got up every single time he was knocked down. Tori Sampson feels the same way. 
She says at heart, Boston is a blue-collar town. And despite Tom's California good looks and millions of dollars... He has a blue-collar state of mind when he's playing. I think that's what the city of Boston relates to most, is when he's out there, he's really just trying to get down and dirty and, and get the win. And he doesn't blame other people. He puts himself on the line, his body on the line every week. And I think that's what we relate to most as like blue-collar Bostonians, is his work ethic on the field. Tori's so impressed with Tom's work ethic that she even watched his favorite documentary. It's called Jero Dreams of Sushi. It's about an 86-year-old man who makes the best sushi in the world. And he wakes up at the crack of dawn every day. I mean, everything is so fresh. He's, he has his hands in every aspect of how he makes this sushi in this small restaurant in Japan. And this man cares so much about sushi that he wants to be excellent at it. And watching Tom Brady talk about how that documentary inspired him as a football player, I went and I, as a writer, I was like, I want to understand what it takes to be excellent at something and the work ethic that it takes to be excellent at that. Okay, I know you were probably expecting that Tom's favorite movie would be like, Remember the Titans or Field of Dreams or something sporty. Tom loves Jiro Dreams of Sushi as much as Tori does, as much as I do. I mean, we've talked about it more than once. He loves, like me, that greatness is in the details. It's in precision. He practices this. I mean, I've been there while he trains in the offseason. After he's like won four or five or six Super Bowls, he's like a mad scientist in his lab, always finding something to tweak. His arm angle, his hip motion, it's absurd and inspiring. Okay, so we love the guy. I mean, he's like literally changed our sense of ourselves from perpetual losers to consistent winners. He's committed to excellence and rarely lets us down. He's our guy. But here's the thing. How much does any athlete really belong to the place where they play? I mean, throughout his years here, there may have been moments that made fans wonder. Is this football demigod really ours? I think that he loved going to New York City because he could be anonymous there. That's Seth Wickersham again. You know, with Boston, its charm is that it's a big, small city. And I think that he outgrew it in a hurry. And in Boston, his fame got to the point where he dominated every room that he was in. And in Los Angeles and New York and Miami, it just wasn't the case. Page six at the New York Post did not care that he was in New York City. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, put an happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. That's Tom on 60 Minutes, talking about the price of fame. To be fair, he also says, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And Tom did commit to New England in the ways that really mattered. After he signed a contract in 2013 and his kids were born, Brady started to build a life there. But I mean, did fans really care what zip code Brady owned property in? For me, as long as Brady showed up on the field with the flying Elvis on his helmet, and as long as the Pats kept racking up wins, he could have been the mayor of New York City for all I cared. So maybe all that matters is that your favorite player keeps showing up on your field, in your jersey. 
There's a famous Seinfeld bit where he says that with the way that players get traded or get new contracts, free agency, etc., and then hop from one team to the next, we're not rooting for people. We're rooting for laundry. You're rooting for clothes when you get right down to it. And if a player changes uniforms... They hate him now. Yes, that's right. This is the right. same human being that's in a different right. shirt. <laughs> Boo, get, we hate him now. <laughs> different shirt. But what happens when the player is a singular talent, a symbol of a whole region, the icon of an era? What then? That and more after the break. In March 2020, Tom Brady left us. The bombshell news of the day. After 20 years, Tom Brady is leaving the New England Patriots. Stephen A. So if you listened to sports radio and TV at the time, it could have seemed like Patriots fans might turn against him. I mean, we've seen it before. After Sox hero Johnny Damon went to the Yankees, Boston fans jeered him every time he played at Fenway. He was loathed by some Sox fans, even long after he left for the Yankees. He's Judas. He took the money and ran. He is Judas. Okay, so the Bucks aren't despised in New England the same way the Yankees are, of course. But some fans, like then ESPN host Katie Nolan, were horrified by Brady's decision to leave the Pats. Today was the first day in my life I ever said the phrase, and I don't know, I can't say it on the internet. I don't know. I could, but I F Tom Brady. For fans like Nolan, losing Tom was about more than losing a sports icon. It felt like losing someone, you know, um, intimately. Okay, all right. So this is one of those things where now that he's not with you... You know, you know, were there things you liked about your ex-boyfriend that then when he started doing them for another woman, you didn't like it anymore? What, my reaction is natural and human. Yeah, emotions were high. It seemed, at least for me, the best ending would have been if we put Tom in Amber, if we could have just frozen time and have him retire as a patriot. Patriot for life. But in a really remarkable twist, especially for a fan base like New England's, Brady's been able to leave without much ill will. For almost all of the fans we spoke to, none of them mind that he's now playing for Tampa. And in some ways, they still enjoy seeing Brady do his thing on the field. We did find one guy from Connecticut, Frank Livingston, who switched allegiances from the Pats to the Bucks in 2020. I rooted for Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I didn't root for the Patriots at all. I don't even know if I watched, uh, I guess I watched a little bit of some of the games. So living in Connecticut, the New England state closest to New York City, and I mean, no offense, but therefore less pure in its New England fandom, Frank was surrounded by ugh, Giants and Jets fans, and he spent a lot of time defending Brady to them. Mostly because they always said that the Pats were great because of Belichick, even though Frank insisted it was Brady. So in a way... When he left the team, I kind of wasn't all that disappointed because I thought it was an opportunity to, you know, to him to prove himself, I guess you could say. Tori Sampson, the playwright in Los Angeles, didn't go that far. But she watched a few games during Brady's first season with the Bucks. And then when it came to the Super Bowl, of course, I wasn't foolish enough to even root against him. I already knew. So I just went into that game like, 
Let's just watch Tom Brady win another Super Bowl and appreciate his greatness, even though he's doing it outside of a New England Patriots jersey. Even Miguel Varela and his dad Julio say there's still a real joy in watching Brady play, even if it's not for their favorite team. They say that the Bucs fans they know haven't yet realized how lucky they truly are. They don't know what they got. Let me just put it there. It's like it's like you got this amazing car that you don't know has so many features. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that looks pretty. But it also can take you to space. <laughs> like, if you if you press the right button, you're like in Mars. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't even know that yeah. that's the capability. It's like a Tesla that turns into a, a rocket ship. Exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. Brady yeah. is. And yeah. like, oh, it's so nice. In Brady's first season with the Bucks. I went to a bunch of games, and I rooted for Tom. I mean, you're always going to root for a friend, right? Did that mean I was rooting for the Bucks? Okay, sure. I mean, no problem when they're playing the Saints and the Giants and the Chiefs. But then, when the Bucks played the Pats in October 2021, I was really conflicted. I actually recorded a voice memo on my phone during the game, trying to process my emotions. Halftime, and I just want this to be over. I'm not enjoying it. It's like having to choose between two divorced parents, and I just don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and just hope no one gets hurt. That's all I got. Who is I secretly rooting for? I'm going to take that to my grave, but I will say this. As much as I love Tom, my love for the Patriots isn't about any single player. And maybe it's not even about a place. I haven't lived in New England since I was 18. In fact, my family and I now call L.A. our home. So I think loving Boston sports, it's about being part of a tribe. For some, the word tribe can imply divisions, tribalism, that kind of thing. But in this case, I'm using it to mean belonging. And for me, this is a very personal topic. I was the first native Bostonian in my family. I mean, I was the first American in my family. My parents immigrated from India in 1970, and I was born a few years later. I think every child of immigrant parents asks themselves the same question. How can I fit in? For me, very quickly, I found my answer in sports. When my family and I would drive around Boston... I would see huge billboards of Larry Bird selling Converse and think that if I could just get a pair of those sneakers, maybe I would be like everyone else. So sports became like a language to me. Through them, I learned how to be an American, and I felt like I was part of something larger. Naturally, as humans, we all want to be part of a tribe. We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, and we all want to share a common goal. I've been able to connect with my tribe all over the world. I've watched Patriots games with fellow diehards in L.A., London, Dubai, India. We might not always speak the same language, but we share a common set of beliefs. We know that Robert Kraft, RKK, I mean, he looks awesome in a blue shirt with a white collar and the throwback pat, the Patriots logo. It's timeless. We know that the Minutemen who fire their muskets after every touchdown at Foxborough, I mean, they're not at all corny. Okay, maybe a little bit corny. And we know we're always going to stick with the tribe. Miguel Varela, remember he's the one who's only known the Pats with Brady and is the best team in the world? He says he's going to be a fan no matter what happens, even if they lose for the next 20 years of his life. Because I'm already 
so in love with all of them. Love's always there, you know what I mean? Can't take that love away, even though they're losing. Maybe maybe it'll make it stronger, almost. I don't want to say maybe we need need a drought or something, but I feel like it's been so perfect for so long. But I think like this town is so into sports that they find a way. Exactly, and I think that won't ever happen. That's the thing, because knock on wood, knock on wood. <laughs> But, you literally did knock on wood there. <laughs> we don't love players as much as we love our teams. Again, that's Tori Sampson. So we are always going to be Celtics fans. We're always going to be Red Sox fans, Patriots fans, Revolution fans, Bruins fans. And so Bostonians don't like, oh, I like the Patriots, but I'm a, a, a Philadelphia uh, 76ers fan. We don't play that in Boston. You're Boston through and through. And it's kind of like a religion to us. It's like a religion to me, too and to my family. My son was born in Santa Monica, California. He's a SoCal kid all the way, and yet he's a diehard Boston fan. He prefers the Sox over the Dodgers, the Celtics, of course, over the revolting Lakers. As for Tom Brady, I mean, my son cheers for him. He even drafted him in his fantasy league, mostly because Tom's his dad's friend. That confessional I played you earlier about how conflicted I was during the Pats game, I didn't play you the whole thing. I was actually watching the game with my son, and he chimed in at the end, apparently completely unconflicted. And just hope no one gets hurt. That's all I got. Yeah, Patriots! You see my kid? He loves the Pats. He watches every game. Weirdly in his Tom Brady jersey, even though now, they're kind of back to sucking. And to me, that's one of the clearest analogs between sports and religion. We pass it on through the generations. A lot of us are Christian or Muslim or Jews or Hindus because our parents were. We are Pats fans. With Tom fucking Brady, and even without Tom fucking Brady. We are just rooting for laundry. And it's beautiful. Next time, why do haters gotta hate? And is a little sports hate actually good for us? Man in the Arena is a religion of sports production in partnership with ESPN+. I'm Gotham Chopra, the host and creator. This episode was produced by Annie Sinsabaugh. Our senior producers are Isaac Kestenbaum and Josephine Holtzman of Future Projects. Our story editor is Michael Garofalo. Executive producers are Amit Sunkran and Adam Schlossman. Associate producer Devin Manzi. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. And special thanks to Kyle Vass. And for ESPN Plus, Brian Lockhart, Senior Vice President, Original Content and ESPN Films. Lindsay Ravenio, Executive Producer, ESPN Plus Originals. Julia Lowry-Henderson, Senior Editorial Producer. Riley Bloom, Production Assistant. This episode was mixed by Merritt Jacob. Lastly, special thanks to Jessica Popovac, Steve Nelson, Carly Peruccio, Composer Michael Kramer, PRX, and Row Home Productions. 